Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed chapter one of Red Skies last week. Before we dive into chapter two, all about Crisis on Infinite Earths, I just wanted to address some late breaking news. As you might have heard, it was announced at San Diego Comic-Con 2023, there will be an animated adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths in 2024. Whether it will be one movie or a two-part movie remains to be seen. My hope certainly is for the latter, but we'll wait and see. But I just wanted to address this at the top of this episode, which of course we recorded before that news broke. In any event, the episode that you're about to hear is all about the Crisis comic. We do touch briefly on the television adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths that we got from the Arrowverse a few years ago, which I was a big fan of. I thought they did a great job of capturing the core elements of the comic while also making it work within the context of their shared television universe. And kind of on that note, with respect to this forthcoming animated adaptation, I suppose it remains to be seen whether they will take a similar approach and maybe show us the world of different animated series converging, or if it will be more of a straight adaptation of the Crisis comic. I see value in both. My personal preference would be to see something akin to what the Arrowverse did, where we get to see all of these different animated shows and universes that we've enjoyed over the years coming together in this huge animated movie event. But either way, we'll follow it as it develops. And of course, when the time comes, the skies might just turn red again, and we will cover it here on this podcast. So I just wanted to mention that briefly at the top. And now here's chapter two of Red Skies. For decades, the history of the DC universe has been marked by its crisis level events, status quo altering storylines that have rewritten continuity while also providing a meta commentary on DC Comics publishing itself, and all under a signature red glow. This is Red Skies, a 13-part podcast epic, mining these events and the Superman of it all. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Red Skies, Chapter 2. And joining me to discuss the classic Crisis on Infinite Earths from All Yeah Comics Skokie, returning guest, sweet, sweet, Bernie Gersmeyer. Welcome back. Afternoon, Anthony. How are you doing, man? Great. The next time that you're here... In just a couple of episodes for Identity Crisis, oh, the ever-controversial Identity Crisis, you're going to be here, if all goes according to plan, in person at Flat Squirrel in, Studios. In person. Yeah, I grew up on the East Coast. My parents are about 20 minutes from Manhattan on the New Jersey side. So uh, yeah, well, we're going to make that happen, dude. I'm excited. That'll be a lot of fun. I'm also excited for this. So of course, for this episode, we are talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths, the 1985 maxi series by Marv Wolfman and George Perez and Dick Giordano and Jerry Ordway that consolidated the vast DC multiverse into a single universe. And I think it's more than fair to say that this is one of the most significant, if, if not the most significant story in terms of the history of DC comics publishing so much so that it has been this, clear line of demarcation for close to 40 mm -hmm. years now, which is insane. But we always yeah. think in terms of pre-crisis and post-crisis, there's so much to unpack. I have a lot of questions for you, but yeah. <laughs> maybe just as a starting point, Bernie, whenever you do ponder DC history and DC continuity, do you still think in those terms, are you still kind of looking at it as this sort of binary pre-crisis, post-crisis, or has that shifted in recent years? I think that was valid up to 2006. Is that when Infinite Crisis was? Yeah, 2005, 2006. Yeah. So I, I'd say from 86 to 2006, those those 20 years, 
I would I would have usually said pre-crisis, post-crisis, but I think after Infinite Crisis, we then had Final Crisis, Dark Crisis, everything was a crisis. So like it was it was just uh, for me, it's multiverse versus single verse. That's the way I usually look at DC continuity now. Fair enough. I think I think I do still think of it in those terms. Well, of course, recognizing we have these subdivisions, both before and after crisis, right? Because even before we have golden, silver, bronze, and then post, yeah, to your point, I think definitely that period from crisis on infinite earths through infinite crisis, that's a very distinct era. Then you've got, I feel like a somewhat more nebulous pocket in between infinite crisis and the new 52. It wasn't a particularly long stretch, but you have that area. Then of course the new 52 and then from 2016 forward, starting with rebirth, I don't know what we'll end up calling <laughs> calling this period, but I feel like it, it's its own thing too. So definitely subdivisions, but still all in all, I think a lot of us do still kind of think in those terms. Yeah, I mean, it's it was five years between Infinite Crisis and um, New 52, another five years to rebirth. And, and now I think it's just more, I, hate, I stay saying just the modern era, but it's just... There's been a number of just different continuities and really based on not only DC event, but creator led. So there was the Bendis era. There were other like uh, reboots, Dark Crisis, Infinite Frontier, different things that are adding and taking away characters or continuities. And I think it's one of those things where, because you're right, we had all of those things. But in terms of what's a publishing initiative or a marketing gimmick versus what will ultimately come to be known as as a period of time, as an era within the company's right. history, I think you can really only know that after it's passed, right? And then you look back and you see where everything settles. So yeah, we'll see what this period ends up being known as. I hope it's not it the is. Bendis era. <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, we did that podcast. I can't. Um, I, I think it's pretty fair, though, to say pre- pre-crisis and post-crisis. I would say crisis on infinite Earths is what you would call like a fixed point in time. Like it's it's a clear statement in the history of what went down and why. Yes. No, exactly. I, I agree with that. So there are a lot of a lot of different aspects of this to explore. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Last episode, I had Dan Greenfield on from 13th Dimension. You haven't heard that based on when we're recording this, but right. we took a look in that episode at the pre-crisis team-ups between the JLA of Earth-1 and the JSA of Earth-2. That annual summertime tradition that also brought in characters from a variety of other Earths as well, like the Crime Syndicate from Earth-3 and so on. Right. The Freedom Fighters from Earth-X, the Shazam family from Earth-S. And as I said in that episode, one of the reasons I wanted to do that was the only times I've read Crisis itself previously, and I've only read it like a couple of times before, Mm -hmm. before now, I only ever read it in a vacuum and I didn't have the benefit of that history in that context. And I thought, Same. okay, now reading all of these team ups that led up to crisis, I'm going to get a lot more out of crisis itself. Now didn't necessarily prove true, but we'll talk about that, but it was, I'm still glad I did it. I'm still glad I've gone on this journey, but I don't know that it really, really changed my, my perception of it. I'll say at the top crisis on infinite earths falls into that category of stories that, I I really I respect for what it did and how it really was the first of its kind in terms of this kind of mm-hmm. crossover. I appreciate the scope, the scale, and the structure of the story. I think 
in terms of how it builds, how it ebbs and flows throughout the 12 issues is, is pretty interesting. From yeah. an artistic standpoint, it's astounding the number of characters who are there. It's amazing. From a story point of view, for me personally, I didn't get as much mileage out of that as as maybe some others would when we just have this overwhelming cast that's being thrown at us. Uh, and also, too, for, for people who really have just such love for the story and grew up reading it, I totally get that. What what I would say to those folks is you have to understand, for me, I I grew up after this story. This story wasn't for me. And I've read the stories like Infinite Crisis, for example, which I largely consider, quote unquote, my crisis. So I grew up with stories that built on the foundation established by crisis. So again, the respect is there. But when we talk about just pure enjoyment level of working my way through these 12 issues, I only I only kind of got so much out of that. And and I want to talk about the, the reading experience for for both of us. But even before that, let me let me go back to the beginning for you. So when this was first coming out, yeah. w- you know, where are you in your life and your comics journey? Like what has oh. your experience been with Crisis then to now? Well, to to just slap an age on it, at, at 1985, I'm 9 years old. So the first comic that my dad ever got me was a DC comics present Superman and the doom patrol from 1983. I think it was. So I I'm still pretty young. I'm reading comics. I think I was mostly reading whenever we got to go to the hardware store. So it was a, a Superman here, a fantastic four here, maybe like a Thundercats or masters of the universe comic, but I wasn't in the adult or even late teens mindset yet of comics and continuity and understanding. Um, I first experienced crisis when I, I heard of like landmark issues like Supergirl's death, Flash's death, Barry Allen spoilers. Sorry, everybody. Um, But uh, my brother and I went to a comic book show in Wayne, New Jersey. And that was the first time I got my hands on the individual issues of those two landmark issues. And I think even at that point, those books were, we're talking about 1995 and those books I, I got each for 20 bucks each. And that for a, a college age kid is that's a lot of money to throw on one book each, but I just knew I want to own these such a cool piece of history. Little was I to know how many times characters would die over the next you know <laughs> 20 years. But uh, it was very, I knew of the crisis. I had not read it. I just knew there were points that were important. And I didn't even understand the multiverse side of pre-crisis. I just remember growing up reading Superman stories. I didn't know all the different universes that stories could take place in. But um, that's where I was reading-wise. I wasn't really even as an adult collector yet. I, I was nine. So, Gotcha. Well, and that was the other thing, too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think... It wasn't until 98 that it was collected in trade paperback for the first time, right? right. Yeah. And I think that's this one. I have the yes. soft cover. Yeah. Um, that was the first version of it that I owned as well. I've since parted with that. At one point I had, I think, the 30th anniversary hardcover. Oh, okay. Uh, that ultimately didn't make it through another pruning when I was moving. So most recently now I read it on the app. So I've read it in a few different forms. But I definitely remember, yeah. I talked about this in the last episode where as a kid, in the 90s, reading exclusively just the super titles, I had a very, very limited conception of what Crisis even was. And whatever Same. I did know came from 
as I said, really just that Paul Kupperberg introduction to the Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow trade paperback. And then as I got older, talking to people at the comic shop, Wizard, and then eventually the internet, and then the pieces came together. And again, we had that collection in 98. And I I don't know that I read it that early. I feel like it was probably more, I want to say like early 2000s, so maybe a few years later that I read it for the first time. I don't know that I really got much out of it the first time. I read it again. I did a actually did a Patreon book club episode on it with fellow guests Scott Honig and Ritroni, who have now been on this show a bunch of times. But this was nice. I don't know, four or five years ago. We did a Patreon episode on Crisis and Infinite Crisis, and that was the second time I read it. And I definitely appreciated it more. And it was it was very helpful to read it to read it and Infinite Crisis back to back because obviously you see how the latter really pays off so much from from the former. So that was cool. And then I read it again now. So that that's sort of been, you know, my experience with it. The other question I wanted to ask you, and this came up with Dan, and I think this will be kind of a running theme. When we talk about all of these crisis events and, I don't know, how necessary they are, how much they, how much they actually fix versus how much they further confuse matters. <laughs> because the, the, the story always goes with crisis. And Marv Wolfman, he talks about it in the introduction to the collected edition. He's, he's talked about it in interviews. But he was editing Green Lantern uh, in the in the early 80s. And someone wrote a letter complaining about how confusing the continuity was. And that that got him going, right? And he and he had had this idea from when he was a kid about a character right. who observed everything. At the time, he called him the librarian. That, of course, morphed into the yeah. monitor. But so he came up with this idea and he pitched it. And, and DC announced it. And this was early 80s. And it took a few years mm-hmm. before it actually came together. And shout out to Dan at 13th Dimension. I'm sure this image is floating around elsewhere, but props to Dan. Uh, He has an interview with Marv Wolfman, which I'm going to reference a little bit later. But he also has one of the original original house ads back when, before it was even called Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it was History of the DC Universe. But but the idea, the the impetus for this was this notion, I guess, expressed by this reader and and letter writer and, and shared by Wolfman himself that DC continuity had become impenetrable. We had infinite earths. We had multiple versions of characters running around and it was right. too hard to kind of sort out. We needed one of these crisis events. And the, the idea that I keep coming back to is I've seen all of these instances in, in over the past 20 years, essentially, where we've continued to have these events. And I feel like sometimes they leave more questions. <laughs> they pose more questions than they actually answer. Yeah. And I say to myself, well, was it really that confusing at the time? And and I'm I'm not saying this with any sort of agenda. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't in it at the time. So I guess I'm curious, growing up and reading the Superman comics that you were, I know you said like you didn't even know about those other. So, I mean, I guess is the answer yeah. that you you weren't confused as a kid reading this stuff? No, I think I just, I was just reading. I was just happy to read a book when I got to. And, and then like we've talked about the rabbit hole began when death of Superman happened. And that was the prime age for me to be, you know, 18, you know, or I guess it was 17 or 18 when that happened. And then I'm entering college with the reign of Superman, you know, and I'm, I'm sent off to college and using spending money to like find 50 cent issues best I can. And then I start going back and wanting to learn more like anybody else would like to do. Um, I, I think we need to remember too, that this is the, one of the first cross, like cross publisher events ever done on DC, which was answering to secret wars. Right. Like this, this was this, the, the DC response that, oh gosh, they did something really cool across the street. We got to do something. But I think Marv had this kind of in the drawer saying, this, 
you want something, this is the thing to do. Let's use it the right way. Um, it was also they're trying to figure out it's 50th anniversary for the for the company. So this is a great way to try something new. The only other maxi series I think they'd done at that point was Camelot 3000, um, which was the first DC uh, ma like maxi series that wasn't like three or four parts. Um, and then I think eventually Watchmen followed this, which was next. Yeah, but, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that this. If I was, if imagine us being our age when this happened, that would be like huge. That would be not only huge but confusing because we were so used to just having continuity of issues, random stories, not many story arcs. Because don't forget, story arcs didn't really start until the Bronze Age, and they weren't always happening. Um, so yeah, this would be very innovative if we were adults at that time. Now it's like, okay, what what big event is going to change or kill someone? That's what it comes down to. No, it's very true. And that was something I kept reminding myself of as I was going through this is what a big deal this had to have been at the time, yeah. right? I, I can very much appreciate that. And to your point, even putting aside the substance of the story itself, you're right, the format. And I think Wolfman talks about, I think it's Wolfman who talks about this in the introduction, how again, how unusual this kind of format, this this limited, purposely limited run, uh, yeah. because there was this sense at the time that readers were wary of a number one. They gravitated more towards these long running titles because it showed, hey, there's something to this. It's been around for a long time. You know, we'll pick up Action 450. We'd be less yeah. inclined to pick up a number one. And again, it's just so crazy because we've seen it completely swing the other way now where we, we constantly have these renumberings. But so, yeah. yeah, in terms of format and everything it was doing, and I'll also say, again, I am glad I read those Crisis on Multiple Earths team-ups because when I look at this, uh, it, it really is on another level in yeah. terms of the just its ambition and its scope. And that's not a knock on those pre-crisis team-ups. And as we talked about, I think they evolved over time and they got a little bit more interesting as they went along. But they introduced a lot of really cool ideas and concepts and everything. But but when you read this, it definitely feels like, okay, we've, you know, to, to borrow a popular phrase at the, at the moment, like we've leveled up here. That's kind of what, what it feels like. So uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to these guys for, it, it's such an achievement. And the fact that people are still reading it and talking about it all these years later, despite how many reboots and, and subsequent crisis events we've had, really says something. And I'll also say, because I don't know if, if, if you're on Twitter, if you, if you do much there, but not too long ago, there was someone who asked folks to rank the crisis events. And I didn't participate myself, but I saw and a lot of people I know who, who, who did it. And crisis was, was up there, if not number one, for a lot of people. And what I wonder is, and actually I, I pose this to the audience here, I, I would love to hear from you guys because, and, and this is kind of our segue into what the reading experience was like for us uh, over these past couple yeah. of days, because I'm, I'm curious, especially for people who hold this really highly, is this something that you've, you've reread recently? Is it something that you, mm. that you read all the time? And I'm also curious, because I, I would imagine, I feel like there's probably a fair number, and I mean, and people who listen to the show who maybe have actually never read it, or maybe they've read excerpts from it, or they've maybe they read the Death right. of Supergirl issue. But I'm I'm sure there are plenty of people who actually haven't read the entire thing. And even those who have, again, have you gone back to it recently? Is it something you read all the time? Like I would be really curious to, to know that. So I hope yeah, people will I, reach out. I, I hope they do too. I, I think you're gonna get two different answers, most likely. I think one, if you're if you're an adult anywhere in that 10 year span around the crisis, that's definitely 
going to be a different answer. There, there could possibly be a number of people that, while they ranked the crisis high, they didn't like the outcome. So there, don't don't forget ranking it in terms of quality doesn't mean you necessarily agree with it. So for us, I think even my 19 year old who just tried reading it, you know, she she struggled just because she said it felt more like reading a novel that had illustration at time. And that's something we can kind of talk through, too. And I found that with some actual current um, maxi series, even from the Marvel Universe and other things happening over the last 10 years where it just was they were confused what they wanted to be. Did you want to be a book or did you want to be a comic or did you want to be a comic book? And I think that was the hard thing. I got you. So you messaged me yesterday and you said, how, how far in are you? And, and literally when I said, when I say, when I use the word literally, I mean, it. I, I don't throw that around uh, inaccurately. So I literally, I had my iPad in front of me as, as you messaged me and I was, I had just read Wolfman's introduction and I was on yeah. page one. Uh, so I, you know, I ended up spending and it took me the entire day. Oh, bro. To get through this. And so when you messaged me and you said, how many issues in, what was behind that? What were you getting at? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, okay. Just for a little backstory. This is the second time only I've read it. The first time I read it in its entirety was when Infinite Crisis came out. That's the same, same approach you said. Really helped. I read Infinite Crisis first, then I read Crisis. And obviously there are some differences, but it helped. I was dreading a little bit reading it again because I knew of the density it was going to be. And I was rereading it going, oh, God, I was hoping that I would have a fresher take and I'd feel differently. But by by issue three, I was like, oh, gosh, why is this taking so long to read this? And and that's why I was like, okay, I need to find out where he is. Because then you said you're binging it. And I, I, I was sending just prayers to you to try to get through because I broke it down. I had to do like one or two a day over the last week because I knew it was going to happen that way. Well, that's the smart way to do it. And I think that's probably that's probably in my head what I intended to do. But as is often the case with the prep for these episodes, it it just doesn't always go according to plan. And I got hit with a cold the other day and I had to shift some stuff around. And what, what ended up happening, my wife took our son to her, her mother's for the weekend. So I knew I was going to have the day, the full day before this recording. I knew I had that block of time. And on the one hand, right. As the saying goes that a project will fill, it will take however long as the amount of time you have, like it'll, it'll, it'll grow to to fill that time. (laughs) So I don't know if I only had an afternoon, maybe, maybe I would have gotten through it faster, but no, it honestly, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it took me the entire day. I mean, those 12 issues, yeah. I probably averaged an issue an hour. Not that it took me the entire hour to read it, but I, I needed to put it down after yeah. basically after each issue. And obviously I'm also doing chores and stuff throughout the day, but like, I, this was not the sort of thing that I could just bang these out back to back. It no. was dense. You, you mentioned the word dense. It was a very, very dense read. Uh, are you a Parks and Rec fan? I love Parks. And Rec. I knew you. I knew you were. I hope our audience is as well. One of the best sitcoms ever. That's that's why when you said literally, literally, <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with the show, that's that's quite all right. But uh, Adam Scott's character Ben Wyatt, at a point in the show's run, he develops this board game called Cones of Dunshire, and it's eventually mass produced and 
Uh, it's incredibly complicated. And one of my favorite Ben Wyatt moments, and it killed me the first time and it kills me every time I watch it. And it's what I thought of as I was reading this. Uh, he's boasting to one of the other characters, the game has been reviewed in Gameplay Magazine. And he so proudly, inexplicably proudly, is like Gameplay Magazine called it punishingly intricate. And <laughs> and that's like kind of how I felt as I was reading this. It yes. was it, it was exhausting. And that's why I say, like, I really am curious to know if someone's out there and they're like, no, like I, this is a breeze and I love it. And I read it all the time. Like, I would love to know that because for me, I really found it. It was a little, it was a little tough to get through, especially trying to read it in the span of time. I, I do think, yeah, if I had broken it up over the course of a full week or something like that, oh, it would have been a lot it, more manageable. It was still hard. I did on vacation. I brought the book with me. We got there on a Sunday. We left on a Wednesday morning. And I had still only gotten through six issues of the 12. And then I was like, oh, oh no. Like, I got to really finish this bad boy up. So then I did a few last night and I did the last three or so this morning. And I'll be honest with you, I typed into Google synopsis on crisis on infinite earths because I needed like, what are the, like, what am I looking for here? So I'm reading through and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to just be patient, but it, Again, I, I wonder when I read, I think it was issue 11. It's the, the the final issue of combining, which actually is a great issue because that's when you see all the Earths are now one Earth and, and basically the aftermath, I think, was the name of the issue. But I'm reading it wondering, this might really read better as a book. Like, I wondered if this would be a good novel. And I don't know if there's a novel version of it. Yeah, so that's a perfect jumping off point. We have a couple of questions from one of our patrons, Brian Dempsey. Mm, Patron privilege, as the Talkville boys call it. Uh, so Brian says, I collected these out of order between 89 and 93, and for some reason read them as I got them out of order. Oh, my. <laughs> he said, now that I have so much knowledge under my belt, DC knowledge, I'm going to reread these before listening to the podcast. Brian, please let us know what that how that experience was I'm very curious. Yes. yes so uh, one of his questions is, and I was going to bring this up. There is a prose novel adaptation of the maxi series based on the story you read. Uh, do you think it's compelling enough to, do you think the comic was compelling enough to want us for us to want to dive into the novelization? So there, there is a novel and Wolfman himself wrote it, if I'm not mistaken. And oh. um, I have, so to answer Brian's question, I have not read it clearly. You know, you haven't either. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't think I was really moved enough to want to right. kind of experience the story again in a different format. Although I was reading a review of the novel and, or a description of it, I suppose. And it, my understanding is that the book is told through Barry Allen's point of view as much as possible. Obviously there are points that he's not present for, but that at least a significant piece is from his perspective and I will say that's the one aspect that does make me kind of curious to read because, and I'm a broken record. I say this all, every time we talk about these big events, but for me, and I get, mm -hmm. I, I can definitely appreciate the spectacle aspect of these types of event stories and how, yeah. how people are drawn to this notion of seeing so many different characters floating around. I get that. For me, I do like the idea of a point of view character. And it's not that. I feel like, oh, every single thing has to be from that character's perspective. But some character who we're kind of 
following along, or even if we start and end with them and we get some of it along the way from their perspective, I just feel like something like that helps ground the story and it helps pull you in. So that aspect of it does make me curious to read. I, I can see why, gosh, I could see actually why reading it in novel form could be something good for like current readers. Cause if you look at the amount of characters, the amount of like grandiose location and places and universe for those people that are Harry Potter fans or even Lord of the Rings fans, like that kind of approach to exposition and development works. Like that's a lot of characters. Now I'm going to show this on the screen. Like again, so here, yep, this is, this is the famous Alex Ross double-sided poster. Oh, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. You can do it. Now, it doesn't give it justice looking at the cover. I actually have the six-foot version in this room here. Um, he signed it. Like, he came to our store, and it was awesome to meet him and talk about it a little bit. But every single character in the Crisis books are on this poster. And if you get a chance to look at this print, when you look at this, it is incredible to look at the fact that all of these characters are actually represented in a 12-issue series, comma, which is a big reason why I have a hard time with it. Like, And we'll talk about that more. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw, yeah. Yeah, we had that poster hanging up at Alternate Realities uh, as well yeah. for years. And so I saw it all the time. And yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into that more. But I, I, I think we're on the same page. And I, and I don't even say this. Here's the thing. It's not a criticism. I really feel like right. this is a matter of preference, which always yeah. makes me think of my moment at the Starbucks drive through window where... This was before I was as well-versed as I am in my Starbucks drinks. And I asked the guy, I said, what's the difference between Americano and espresso? Uh -oh. And he okay. goes, it's a matter of preference. <laughs> it's like, 
but between what? Ooh. So clearly he didn't know either. And then like someone else there was like, oh, Americano has water. And I was like, right. <laughs> that always makes me laugh. <laughs> when yeah. you don't know, it's, like, it's, like, it's just a matter of preference. Difference. Yeah. But no, like that's um, the thing. I could see how that could break differently for some people who really like seeing so many different characters. For me, it got, honestly, it got exhausting at a certain point where it's just like same. everyone's there. And it's just, you don't, it's funny. The two issues that I enjoyed the most, and I suspect you might feel similarly, but uh, yeah. issue seven with the death of Supergirl and issue 11 Thanks. after after the Earths have been consolidated and the characters, but Earth 2 Superman in particular, realizing that some of them don't have a place, they don't have a past yeah. here. And I liked those two issues the best because in Supergirl's final moments and also in tracking Earth 2 Superman at the start of issue 11, those are two of the rare instances in this book where you're actually following someone and it's yes. it's more yeah they're still trying to figure things out or there's a big battle but it still feels more at least somewhat more character driven as opposed to plot driven yeah i mean you'll have i know this sounds ridiculous but you'll have a full page sometimes where you're following the point of view or dialogue from one person where honestly throughout the rest of the issues i would say every half page or third of a page was, is that fair? Yeah. Like different, different dialogues and different locations, different conversations. They've left one area. I was like, where, where are we right now? I don't even know where we are. And if you look at it too, there's words in every possible space in this book, like in between the panels down the margin. And I was like, Oh my gosh, make it. I was so tired. Yeah, it's again, it is very dense. And even just looking at the layout of the pages, there are, you know, it's it's not not strictly that nine panel per grid style, but there we're kind of in that realm. And that's always curious to me. And of course, Watchmen and then later Doomsday Clock and various other stories utilize that nine panel grid layout. And I'm neither a comic writer nor an artist, but I've read a lot. (laughs) For me, it's just like, don't you want to... It make use of this visual medium that you have here, even just in terms of variety. I mean, there are every now and then we get a splash page in this. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I just flipped to a random page and this one I'm looking at has 12 panels. Like that's a lot. And, and bravo to Perez. Like it's, it is a feat. If you looked at this from panel to panel, I don't even understand how he did this. Yeah. And, and the speed in which he did it. I, I agree totally. And the inking too. In the in the in the oh, collected edition there, they show you how Guy Gardner's costume changed and Jerry yes. Ward, Jerry Wardway, who was inking it, had to quickly uh, fix that as they were making their way through. So no, again, the other thing too is as you read this, you very much get the sense, and clearly this is the case, especially reading Wolfman's introduction. He'd been thinking about this librarian character his whole life. Yeah. You really feel like this is this comes from someone, all of them, but especially Wolfman who wrote it, from someone who really loves the lore of DC and loves all of yes. these characters. You, that comes across, and I think that's why you see so many characters represented, because every friggin' character is someone's favorite, right? No matter how obscure, yeah. there's someone who's like, oh, I love that character. Oh. I love that designer. There's something about their backstory. They That was the first comic they ever got. So yes. I, I guess that's why you do a story like this where like everyone's in there, but 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 again, I, I just I, I don't get the mileage out of that that I guess some other folks did. 
Well, and I think what again, let me just state too, like I know we I feel like we have to say this in every podcast. We are not pooping on the crisis on infinite earths. Like but from a reading standpoint and and a understanding standpoint, we're we're kind of walking through what we do love about it and what we have a hard time with. Appreciation is not ever a factor. Like this is a huge work of and I will say art. It's an it's a literary piece of art and it is a visual piece of art. And I just want to make sure that people listening are not like, why are they destroying something? No, we're not. It's it is valid and it's incredible, but there are things that I think in 2023, if someone is is used to reading comics over the last five years, may struggle with this. And I think we're focusing on the whys, if that makes sense. I agree. I couldn't agree with all of that more. And I'll also say from a personal perspective, because when I, you know, when I decided to do this event, this crisis event, I, for, I, I questioned myself, I'm like, do you really want to do this? Because again, I had gone through crisis uh-huh. itself a couple of times before. And again, I think I've just sort of had this notion that, and this is, we talk about being a fan journey, right? This fan journey that we're on. And this is a perfect example of it because I think with crisis itself, I have always even to this very moment, wanted to love it more than I do. I've Same. always wanted to. And I think I've always had this sense that, well, if I read those pre-crisis stories, if I you know, did an episode about it, if, if I read more interviews about it, whatever, whatever, if I did these things, then something will kind of unlock and I will be able to appreciate this story the way a lot of other people seem to and the way I've always wanted to. And I don't consider this a, a, a failure. I'm glad I went through this process. I can honestly say now, I get what crisis is. It's, again, it's not something that I'm particularly moved by. I don't think it will ever rise to that level of love that I would I would like to have for it. But I'm okay with that. And I understand why. And I, I can honestly say, again, in terms of that reading beforehand, all of the extra homework and all that kind of stuff, yeah. I, I, I put myself... I genuinely can say I put myself in the best position possible to try to enjoy this. I was even, I was yeah. reading it. I, I will say this as I was reading it. Cause I was <laughs> sound me, but it's like, I was like, you got to Got to stay alert. Got to stay awake. Like you got to get through this. And so I put on the, the crisis on infinite earth's TV soundtrack. Oh, which dude, the score from that Arrowverse crossover is phenomenal. And so I had that playing as I was reading this and that helped. And it, it really Where? just, it's on. It's on all the streaming. Like I, on Amazon Music, I listen to it. Oh, so you? Just, that's awesome. I didn't know that they even had that as a album. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's tremendous. And so I had that playing. And so I really, I nice. really tried to put myself in the best headspace that I could for yeah. this. And I, and 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 so I, I know now what I get out of this story, and it's fine. But I've gone through that process, and so I'm glad. Like that's a win for me. Yeah. I I made the mistake of doing what I typically do for prepping for a podcast is I started with like taking notes as I was going. And then I found like issue one. I was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like I had to scroll like three times down my notes app to finish one. And I was like, okay, there's no way I can take notes the way I used to take notes. So I figured out I would read the issue and then try to do a, like a synopsis for myself. Like, okay, so what did I get from this? What are the most important parts of this? And maybe what are some quotes or things that I think were cool or, or bring out a flavor or tone? Cause honestly, dude, if I wrote notes the way I did, 
like, I would never, I would never finish it in time for the podcast. No. Well, it's too, there's too much plot. Too verbose. Yeah. It's too verbose. Yeah. Well, I mean, look with any story and I, you know, I, you know this, we know this, but any story, so the story, the question always is like, what is the story about? Right. Yeah. And I think in an ideal scenario, of course there has to be a plot. Something has to be happening, but what the story is about ideally for me is something character driven, a character trying to achieve something, whatever the case yeah. may be and encountering obstacles. When you get a story, and I think this is a category where it's, it's not that there's, there are no character moments or, or nothing like that, but it, it really is a plot driven yeah. story. Yeah. And so I think that makes it a little bit harder to, to engage on an emotional level. And, and also too, yeah. it's like, we're reading this now. We know, how everything shakes out. I think if you're obviously reading it at the time and like, you don't know exactly where it's going and which worlds will live and which worlds will die. All you know is nothing will ever be the same. It, right. it, it's, it's, you know, that aspect of it kind of moves you along. And I think later events and look, my opinion might change because over, over these 13 episodes that we're done, be reading, we're rereading all of these. And so I'm yeah. going to come away feeling completely differently, but something like infinite crisis, my memory of it at least is that it, yes, it has, it has that spectacle aspect, but it is more grounded in in the characters and the distrust among Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, yeah. and the this quest for revenge from the, the characters who survived the original crisis, who have been in that pocket universe, which we'll talk about. But uh, so I feel like that story, like that, that again is building on the foundation set by Crisis. In fairness, but I think like that strikes more of a balance. Whereas here, you really have to kind of like look for those moments more. Well. I, I made some notes too that like at the very end, I tried to put like a, like, what's my, what's my takeaway? I think ultimately this was not a marketing ploy. It worked out well that it was a 50th anniversary celebration. I think the, the creators, they, they just made as a publishing company, the stance that we're going to pare things down. It's been 50 years. What do, what do we do that could help? How do we reboot something, make it fresh and still honor everything that's happened for the last 50 years. And this was honestly a good way to do it. It is a lot because you're dealing with, I mean, how many universes did, did you catch? How many theoretically universes did exist before the, it the crisis? It was millions or tr- I mean, or at least that's what's said. Right? And, and, yeah. That's what's said. So, but what it ultimately came down to, I think they said, okay, we're down to five. Like, and then and they focused on the last five that existed and they only really focused on earth. <laughs> And every now and then you got to hear Thanagar and other things. But um, I got to say, I, I personally, as a reader, since Infinite Crisis, I actually love the multiverse. I think there's a lot of validity in it. I've always, since the 90s, loved the Elseworlds side of books. And I didn't have a problem necessarily. I thought it was kind of cool that 30 years later, is it? No, 20 years later, Infinite Crisis, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean... 20 years is a, it's not a short time. It's not five years like a rebirth, but 20 years to say, okay, how do we feel about going back to bringing 52 universes back? And I'm going, let's do it. Okay, cool. I made a note here that my kids and I used to basically always kind of play crisis with our Justice League Unlimited figures. So, like, there was always a big baddie. I even had an anti monitor. DC direct figure that was like Bell and Lana would treat like he's the bad guy and like he wants to ruin everything. And 
I mean, I think we ended up dumping a dollhouse on top of the anti-monitor to kill him in one of the play times we were doing. But that's how our brains worked. You know, we wanted to bring in as many fun characters we want to do. So the multiverse works that way. But if you're looking at it from continuity, yeah, I think you go, you go back and forth. Some people are like, I want one continuity. Some folks are like, I don't care. Tell me good stories. So I'm sorry if that was long-winded, but that's, I, that's my opinion as far as what do I like better? The answer is yes. <laughs> I like both, but I'm not going to poo-poo it just because they got rid of one or the other. No, I no, I completely understand. And again, I, I we'd be here forever if we, I guess, trying to go uh, yeah. beat by beat through all of these issues. But like I said before, just in terms of the structure of this, as we make our way through the story, we start on Earth 3, the world of the right. crime syndicate. I will say... This was an instance where I'm glad I did my Crisis on Multiple Earths reading because I read JLA yeah. 29 and 30, which introduced their Earth and, the, and the, the evil versions of the Justice League. And I know for a fact the first time I read this in the late 90s, early 2000s, this was before the Grant Morrison, Frank Whiteley graphic novel that used right. them. I really had no idea. So as I was reading this opening now, I was like, oh, okay, that's, such a, that's a cool callback to these characters we met before. Uh, so, yeah. I, so I appreciated that. And so we see pariah witnessing the destruction of this universe and that white antimatter wave that's uh that's that's yeah. erasing everything so that's and our kills them and kills them and kills the crime syndicate yeah yeah so i mean we're we're off and running and we have our our jumping off point here and then as we make our way forward initially in crisis we have uh characters being summoned by harbinger who's doing the bidding of 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 the right. monitor uh, and is sending various heroes to these tuning forks that are being used to try to slow the spread of the antimatter wave. Uh, but they're not powered up in time. Harbinger ends up killing the monitor because she is being compelled to do the bidding of who we later learn is the anti-monitor. But it turns right. out the monitor had accounted for this all along and in dying is able to use his energy as it's being released to power up those tuning <laughs> forks and move Earths 1 and 2 and their respective universes into this netherverse to prevent them from being uh, consumed by the antimatter wave. However, while they're in this netherverse, they are still uh, merging with each other. And at the point in time where they're occupying the same space and time, they will both cease to exist. Okay, that's our starting point. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Like, the fact that you, A, got that run-on sentence off... <laughs> And the fact that that is all just issue one, people, that's issue one. That's a synopsis. I was tired listening to you. And <laughs> I was not reading that, by the way. That was the top oh, of my head. That's what, that's what was so disturbing. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's great. And from, I love the, it so much. from there, again, I, I won't go through everything, but just so people have the broad strokes in case, in case they haven't read it or it's been a while and they don't remember whatever the case may be. But yeah. eventually, as you had you mentioned this earlier, that many, many Earths and universes are taken down by this antimatter wave. And at a certain point, we are left with just five, Earths 1 and 2, um, as well as Earth 4, which is home to the Charlton characters like Blue Beetle. Right. Um, as well as Earth X and S, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we also- X yeah. is, which one, remind me, which <laughs> one is World War II? Okay, here's something funny. So okay. Earth X is the home of the Freedom Fighters. Thank you. So okay. I had read the two-parter that introduced them, um, that were introduced Earth X and, and brought in the Freedom Fighter characters. 
And as I was reading this, there's references made to the fact that the Freedom Fighters were originally from Earth 2. And I'm saying to myself, what I just read, that that pre-crisis yeah. team up, it's Earth X. And of course, I go to Wikipedia and there was a later team up or later issue that retconned it and revealed that they <laughs> were originally from Earth 2 and migrated. This is the last television reference I'll make in this episode, I think. But Migrated. <laughs> but there's a... Uh, there's a great episode of The Office where they have interns for the summer and then the tag mm-hmm. at the end of, of the episode is the interns are giving their their final interview to the camera and talking about what they learned over the summer. And one of them is like, I learned that, whatever, 200 pieces of paper make up a ream. And the other intern goes, what, isn't it 250? And he goes, I learned nothing. And <laughs> in that in that moment, because here I am, right? I did this whole episode on the crisis on multiple earths. I'm reading all yep. these issues, all these team ups, and I'm like, all right, at least I'm getting something out of this. I'm learning something. And then I read this. Useless. I'm like, God damn it. I nope. learned nothing. Yeah, nothing. You, <laughs> none of that information. That is fake DC news. <laughs> <sighs> but anyway, yeah. So, okay, so Earth X with the Freedom Fighters, Earth S with the Shazam family, Earth 4 with Blue Beetle and, and company. Uh, and oh, then we okay. also have a few survivors. We have Lady Quark from Earth six i want to say and we have of course superboy prime from the prime earth which who doesn't show up way late into this but okay i need to ask a question this yeah. is a quick sidebar i swear it's quick sidebar i thought there was this big thing we couldn't have captain marvel in dc stuff and now how are they allowed to be in because wasn't that the whole build we can't call them captain marvel and it's the Marvel family and it's kept and, and Mary Marvel and all these things. Cause that wasn't that big deal. Like Fawcett went poop and then there was something going on. The DC couldn't, do you remember that? I don't know. Am I mean, I, crazy? Only, I only know recently that because they don't want to call him Marvel and, and you know, now that it's been, but I, as far as back in time, no, I don't know. Yeah. There's something that happened with Marvel comics first. So they, they created a captain Marvel and at the same, like Fawcett, Went out of business, and then DC owns the properties. But because there's a new Captain Marvel on the Marvel side, they have to always call him Shazam. They can never call him Captain Marvel. So, but then I'm reading this, I'm going, wait, how does this work? I, like, so I, sorry, it just was. There's a little thing that's really pissing me off as I'm reading, it going like, how, how does it work there, but not later? So, sorry. no, good question. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone can uh, illuminate uh, illuminate that for yeah. us. I'm not sure, but now. A big portion of this, can you explain a little bit? Maybe you know more about this. Where did the psycho pirate come from? Do you know that? Oh, I think did he he's start with from this? Earth 2. I think he's from Earth 2. And I think he had been he had been established. I, I'm not a, a thousand percent sure. Don't hold me to that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, that you know, that's funny. That's the other thing, too, because this introduces new characters. Like, this introduces new characters. So on top of all of the other characters that had already come in those those summertime team-ups, you also have new ones. And that's why yeah. where it's not that I, I feel like my previous reading project was a waste, but it also didn't get me all the way there because there's still more that's, that's coming up. <laughs> yes. And I, I mean, when I first read crisis, I'm like, who is this psycho pirate? Like, how do I not know who this guy is and how does he control everybody's emotions? And then the monitor keeps dumping on him throughout the entire, or the anti-monitor throughout the series dumps on him saying, don't forget, there's others like you that I could just get rid of you and get somebody else. But he never does. And I, I at a sense, I almost felt bad for the Psycho Pirate during this series, which I don't know if I should have, but I did. <laughs> no, I hear you. No, I do hear you. So at a certain point, those remaining three Earths 
are able to be brought into that netherverse with Earths 1 and 2, we still initially have that same problem of them merging and, and they'll ultimately cease to exist. I suppose it's at that point that we have the assault on the anti-monitor, anti, <laughs> I combine monitor and matter uh, on the anti-matter <laughs> universe where Supergirl sacrifices herself and is able to uh, at least temporarily uh, knock out the anti-monitor and destroy the machine that was causing the, you know, everything to uh, to, to merge. Right. And so that buys them some time and there's this little bit of, of a lull. And, and of course, then in the subsequent issue, Barry Allen sacrifices himself to destroy this antimatter cannon of, of yes. the anti-monitor as well. Which I still don't. Okay, keep going. I have a big, I have a big overarching question. Go ahead. So then we have this, like I said, a little, a little bit of a lull. I mean, again, I know I started off by saying I like the overall structure of this, but I did feel like this was kind of we got to a little weird point here where the all of the Earths were occupying the same, or all the universes were occupying the same space, uh, right. but were no longer merging. But there were these these warp points where past and present and future were colliding and, and there were, you know, and it was, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting and scientists were there studying it. And then you have all of the villains banding together, assembled by Brainiac and Luthor uh, to try yep. to take control of, of the earths. But then of course the anti-monitor returns and they all have to band together. And right. the new plan is to sort of restart the universe at the point of the big bang. But, it will only be the antimatter universe at this point. And this is when we have that, that big climactic battle where the specter intervenes and has this confrontation with the anti-monitor. And that leads us to issue 11, which we talked about before, where all of the earths have been consolidated, but you have these stragglers from, from the other earths who are now sort of displaced. And some are remembered by others and some aren't. Right. So like, Jay Garrick remembers things, but his wife doesn't. And people that were involved were okay. All right. Now let's pause for a second. This is, uh, what's the rating on this podcast? Well, we'll follow Justin DeVoe rules. I gave him one F-bomb in our Flash episode, like PG-13 rules. So it's, you know. I don't don't need an F-bomb. All right. (laughs) I I referred, I, I was making notes and I started writing it so much that I had it abbreviated. I think it was to BSCBS, batshit comic book science. There's so many things that I'm like, what the hell? How does that make sense on any scientific plane? First of all, I love Star Trek. In my Star Trek, like learning of science, I am almost 100% sure. That matter and antimatter cannot exist in the same universe. Yet suddenly, Alexander Luther can open that shit up. And now matter people from our universe are in the antimatter universe. And they're fine. No explosion. Everything's okay. So that is what there's so many times, Anthony, too, you were explaining things. And I'm like, that's not science. That's fake science. I don't know what that just meant. Like, they're they're kind of existing in the same plane, but there's these special glass walls that you can't get through. Marv Wolfman is either a genius or insane. I can't tell whether it's both. Well, let's take a quick commercial break and then we'll <laughs> try to figure it out. We'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year. This multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources 
to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. And we're back. I got myself an iced coffee, not an Americano or an espresso, just a regular, regular <laughs> iced coffee. But we're back. I know you have posed some valid questions about the kind of dubious science of a lot of this. <laughs> I didn't have a ton of, of problems with that per se. I just kind of went along with it. But, you know, your, <laughs> your, your points are well taken. I did have, I did have some, que- some other questions, though. And uh, actually, one of this ties back to Brian, our patron's other question, where mm-hmm. he asked, are you only reading the main 12-issue series? If so, having just recently read DC Comics Presents 87, right? You were on the show. We talked about the introduction of Superboy Prime. Do you feel right. you get a complete story out of the main series, or do you think there are certain key side stories in other books that would enhance the overall scope of the story? Or I'll, I'll phrase it another way, Bernie. Did, did, did you want even more of this? Um, I, I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good, too. I, I am. I I think reading I am glad I read to know where Superboy Prime came from. I would be curious, and maybe you know this answer more. Are are there are there issues where we learn more about Earth 2 Superman? Like where is that specifically Silver Age? Is that like like where where was that focus? So because I, I, I had a hard time I don't want to say like caring but i was like oh i wish i i wish i like knew this superman more sure so we don't get a ton with him in those pre-crisis team-ups at least in the ones that i read he's there right as this counterpart counterpart on the other earth and clearly he's older and he's got the the hair like i do now (laughs) but uh at least you got it dude (laughs) (laughs) fair enough Whether or not there are other team-up stories that delve more into his character and history, I'm not positive. However, with Earth 2 Superman generally, there's the very famous action, uh, and I don't have the issue off the top of my head, 484, 485, somewhere around there. But it's where he marries, where it's it's set on Earth 2, and it's the marriage between between Superman and Lois. And then my understanding is that in that Superman family title that Earth 2 Superman and Lois had a segment in that. So we, we do spend more time with him in other in other venues. I think last year you and I 
briefly touched on that marriage comic in the Bronze Age yeah. episode. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right. So we do get I just a little didn't know more if there was them. more of yeah. yeah, I was curious if there was like more recently closer to crisis. That was that's that was my curiosity. Cool. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and I will say I, I really am glad that you and I read that introduction of Superboy Prime. And I think one of the questions that we had we had discussed in that episode was how much Earth Prime we had gotten before. And and I can say that now I, that was established. I think there was actually a flash. No, there was. I know there was a flash issue initially where Barry ends up on Earth Prime, and then yeah. there is at least one of those two part team up stories where we deal with Earth Prime, and we have the Earth Prime versions of uh, I think Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Magan. So it, again, it gets very meta, just like we'll continue to see even in, yeah. in modern times, and especially with Superboy Prime and that whole. You know, the modern version, this whole notion that he's like this disgruntled fanboy, which I have some issues with. We'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> but uh, yes. I, I am kind of I was kind of surprised that he doesn't show up until issue 10 of 12. OK, so on on this note, uh, but I mean, to answer Brian's question, no, I wasn't. Yeah. Here's the thing. To DC's credit, they do have they, they did put out collections, the crisis on on Infinite Earths. Um, no, wait, what do they call it? Now I'm, I'm uh, blanking here. Wasn't wasn't there a companion? Yeah, the companions. That's what it was. Thank you. That was the word I yeah. <laughs> escaped me. Yeah, the companions, yeah. where they collected all of the tying-in issues. And so those are available yeah. in print and digitally on the app. And I will also say, to DC's credit, on the app, they have a storyline for a storyline page for Crisis, where it has oh. all of the 12 issues, as well as the tie-in issues, more or less in their appropriate placement. Oh, that's cool. So that's cool. So- there's a, there's a moment in Crisis where the Blue Devil ends up on the Omega Men spaceship or something like that. Yes. And then there's a little note that says, for more on this, see Blue Devil number 18. And then that's yeah. next on the app. And <laughs> I... And I don't, I don't say this to be, to be a, a jerk, but yeah. I didn't care enough. I was, I, it was, right. it was good. And it was enough for me to know, oh, okay, there was this plan. Books were tying in. You, you could kind of see even very early on where uh firestorm is recruited and they have to go get killer frost, right? Cause the heroes and villains are going to team up and right. you know, psycho pirate makes her fall in love with him and all that whole business. But there's a whole issue of firestorm that deals more yes. with him being recruited and going to get her. So you can see where stuff fits in, but I was, I did not feel the need to do that. But with Superboy Prime, okay, so we had read 87 where, and this, so after crisis number seven, where Supergirl sacrifices herself, and don't worry, we will talk more about the deaths of Supergirl and Barry Allen, but so yeah. Supergirl sacrifices herself. Then we have DC Comics Presents 87, which as we had talked about mm -hmm. in that other episode, it's Superman crying out in anguish on the moon right after losing his cousin. Uh, and then he gets sent to Earth Prime and he meets Superboy Prime. And at the end of that issue, they go off together to fight the Anti-Monitor, right? Right. The next tie-in issue is Superman 414. And it picks okay. up where we left off. I did read that one. And so Superman and Superboy Prime are together. But then, oh, cool. and this is Mike, I guess you're not going to know the answer, but we'll maybe have some theories yeah. here. So in that issue, Superboy Prime gets sucked into a portal. Not unlike- Wait, Lex that was, yeah. Yeah. That happened at the end of 87, right? No, at the end of 87, they're like going off together. I'm almost positive. I know, because I, I double checked this morning. I'm almost positive it's uh, Superman oh. 414 where, where he gets pulled away. And, and then the Superman Revenge Squad- um, makes its move against Superman and he ends up on new Krypton where Kandor has had been restored to its full size. Uh, so that was, that was a, a cool, cool little issue. But so yeah. Superboy's pulled away at that point and then he doesn't show up 
until, like you said, number 10. 10. And Superman yeah. says to him, like, I didn't know what happened to you after you got pulled away. And Superboy Prime's like, I don't know either. Do we ever what? get any kind of explanation for where he was? I guess not. Like, well, it was interesting, too. Do you remember when he says, I'm from Earth Prime? And then even other characters are going, there's an Earth Prime? <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, I guess we only know a little bit about it. Yeah. I, I don't know, but I, I'm, and really audience, if, if this was ever yeah, addressed, please, help us. please let me know. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if, I wonder, you know, cause it's been a while now since I read infinite crisis and all that time stuff. I wonder if there's anything that's, that's later kind of added to this. Cause as I was reading it, it's, you know, we had seen Lex Luthor get pulled away and of course he ended up on Brainiac ship. So it right. seemed yeah. to be it seemed to be that kind of portal, but to my knowledge, I don't I don't think we ever saw Superboy Prime there. Again, there could be a tie-in issue that addressed this that I just didn't read and I have no idea, but I don't think so. So that was a weird thing where it's just like, well, where was this kid? <laughs> and what happened? Maybe well, that's even, why he goes nuts later. I don't know. And even the kid says, I don't know where I went. <laughs> like they could have easily done something there. Yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. I the, the other thing. And going back to what we're saying about the science and all that stuff and, and just kind of these bigger picture things we're talking about, I I do, like we said, it definitely feels like this comes from a place of love for the DC characters. And the other thing that I do admire is that they they took the time to do this. And I, Dan had mentioned this in our last episode. We were in this era now where a lot of the creators were people who were fans turned creators. And it does read like someone who grew up mm -hmm. enjoying these characters and these earths, but having questions and, you know, now is really taking the time to showcase everyone before right. it all goes away. And I've said this a million times and I know I'll say it again when we get to flashpoint, but living through the new 52, even though I've made my peace with it, it always, it always rubbed me the wrong way that we didn't get a proper farewell to the prior universe, the way you got with something like crisis on infinite earths. Right. So I came across this article late last night. I went down this rabbit hole reading articles about crisis and stuff. But there was one that essentially said it wasn't necessary and that really all they needed to do is just create a new earth and then just publish stories set on that earth. And on the one hand, yes, that is a very clean, very efficient way to do this. But at the same time, I really do admire that we spent these 12 issues, even though I don't have the attachment to the infinite earths and the other characters. It's like, at least you get that opportunity to say goodbye to them. Yeah. It was interesting. I guess my confusion, and we're going to talk <laughs> about this too. There's that gap. Like crisis was meant to be a reboot during the crisis. We lost certain characters, but then in for example, Superman, like Lori Lamaris is killed in the crisis. But then in the reboot, and you know, that when John Byrne takes over, Lori Lamaris comes back. So theoretically, like, shouldn't she be dead if it was, a, if again, she dies, it's all on one earth. That That's where my confusion with the reboot, like, is it a real reboot? Or was it a chance to just start fresh, clean slate and bring in people again? So we were talking about this off mic before we started. And this was one of the things that that sent me down that rabbit hole last night because mm -hmm. when I when I say this, I mean half of you might be like, yeah, duh, and the other half might be like, oh yeah, like I never really thought about that. This is really crisis itself is really not a reboot. What what crisis right. does is it consolidates the multiverse into a universe, yes. but it does not, and and I suppose it does establish a, 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 a you know one cohesive history 
of the world, but it's not the reboot that I think we often think it is. And that was definitely, I think the first time I read this, I wasn't really clocking that at all. The second time I read it a few years ago, I, I definitely had that realization. But again, it's been a few years and I kind of forgot. And, and I think this is almost the magic trick of crisis where I think we all do look at it and it is that, that, that line in the sand, right? But at the same yeah. time, it, it really doesn't, it's not that continuity reboot that I think we always think it is because like, like we're saying, when we end up on that consolidated earth, there are, again, sort of these paradox characters, right? Like some of the duplicate versions. So earth to Superman, earth to Robin and Huntress, there are certain characters who, uh, as opposed to someone like Jake Garrick, who now exists on on this unified Earth, but has a backstory, right. there are others whose pasts essentially have have been erased, like they're displaced, right. essentially. And the people who were there at that battle at the dawn of time between Spectre and Anti Monitor, they still they still know, they right. still remember. And what I was so struck by in reading this is that things get relatively cleaned up by the end of this, but it's just. It just so happens that most of these doppelgangers die over yeah. the course of this story. It's not that they're erased from continuity. They're just no, killed. Dead. Like, I think the Earth 2 Green Arrow, the Robin, the Huntress. Uh, of course, yeah. we know what happens with, with Earth 2 Superman and Superboy Prime. But, yeah, like, they are they just die, over like, in battle, yeah. conveniently. Yeah. They just kind of tidy them up, so to speak. <laughs> so we don't have to deal with two of them when we're now in our new universe that we're going to start with number one or whatever, whatever issue we start with. And for some reason, the, even for those who were there for that battle, their memory of the multiverse fades because we get to that last yeah. page with psycho pirate. And he's like, I'm the only one who remembers. Right. And I will say one unintentionally funny, I suppose moment is when it's issue 11 where earth two and earth one Superman, they're having this conversation and earth two Superman is really distraught. You know, his, his world has gone, yeah. his past got his lowest most of all. And super Arthur one Superman says something to the effect of like, Hey, it'll take a little while to forget, forget, but it's like, they do ultimately forget, which I don't really yeah. understand why, but the fact that <laughs> that was the solution, don't worry, you'll forget. Yeah, soon like, enough. You'll be all right. Like, you'll be all right. You'll be, you'll be fine. You'll forget her. Well, now let's touch base on that really fast. So there's that sp- that part in, I think it is issue 10, where you see Earth 2 Superman and Earth 2 Lois having like a really nice moment. Yep. And you see Alexander paying attention. My question is later, like, I don't, again, they just kind of went make up science here, but like, how did Alexander save Lois? Like, how did he, he said, I, I she's been inside. I've held, I've kept her safe. Like, so you just kept Lois. You didn't keep anybody else. <laughs> like, like it was a little weird. It's like, okay, we understand it was a part of the, we feel bad for earth to Superman, but then Superboys joining the, you know, that's, it's just so odd to me. Yeah. So Alexander Luther, of course, from earth three, the crime syndicate world, the son of, right. of Lex, Luthor's a hero there and Lois Lane. And right. in a, echo of the traditional Superman origin story as their earth is being destroyed. They send him through that dimensional barrier to earth one. So he survives and he's, he ages up and he becomes this ally and remains so until we get to infinite crisis time. But the, the other thing that I, again, this is where I say people might be like, yeah, of course we knew that. And others, maybe not. I, I did not realize I had never done the math and I had never realized, or maybe in my head I had just compressed the timeline, but Mm -hmm. 
there's there are months in between the end of Crisis on Infinite Earths and right. specifically in the realm of Superman, Man of Steel. So uh, issue 415 of Superman is another crisis tie-in where, again, he's mourning Kara's death and he he learns that she had, you know, like I, I only skimmed through it, but he landed on this, she landed on this alien planet and she had a husband briefly, but forgot about him. It was the whole thing. But that's issue 415. Whatever yeah. happened to the Man of Tomorrow doesn't hit until 423. And then we get the, re- the reboot. So there's this decent stretch, like months long stretch where it's just kind of business as usual. So it's a half a year. It's not like two or three. It's seven issues. So, I mean, is this something that in your head, like you've kind of always looked at it as this, like this was the reboot, like in crisis itself, because I definitely did. I did, too. Yeah. I mean, again, at that point, after after going back and trying to collect like the. I guess the whatever the triangle era or even far further back. I started with what's number one. Oh, that's 1987. Number one. And I had a six issue man of steel series. What does that mean? Oh, that must be the reboot after crisis. I didn't even think to go do the math month wise. So that I think, I think that was a publishing thing. They needed to line it up a certain way. They needed six or seven more months to get filler, to get ready for the John Byrne Man of Steel. I don't know. I think, so there's a CBR article that I had sent you by Brian Cronin, and he kind of addresses this weird limbo period. And I, you know, I, I, I don't know. It would be generous. And yeah, maybe this was a plan that they had. My The sense that I get yeah. is that this was not just like with the new 52, which was put together shockingly quickly and led yes. to a lot of glitches. I think the similar type of thing here. So going back to that 13th Dimension uh, interview with Marv Wolfman, yeah, and people may, may be familiar with this, maybe not, but uh, what Wolfman's original en- intended ending was, he says, my goal, the original concept as I pitched it, was that the series would simply end with the rebirth of the Earth and all the heroes would start the next month and not one of them would ever know that the crisis had ever happened. Oh. And everyone was being born for the first time, so... Uh, if there was a yeah. new flash, they'd be born with a whole new approach, a new concept, a whole new whatever. And I was told that the editors didn't like that because if the heroes didn't remember all their stories, it would invalidate everything that had existed previously, to which I answered with extreme sarcasm. Our heroes do not buy our comic books. The fans do. And they will still have all those books on their bookshelf and they will remember all right. those things. But all the editors overruled it. So that's why I had the heroes go back in time to before the world was reformed so that they would be around to have remembered it. They didn't cease to exist and get reborn. They were there the whole time. Mm. Then it was five years of everybody talking about what really happened in the crisis, which is I knew what would happen. I think this is That's a theme. So, this oh. is a theme with these events. And we hit it on hit it on in the last episode. We're hitting on it here. We're going to hit on it again, especially when we get to New 52. And, oh, yeah. and I you know I always go back to this in the movie world as well right now. But it's like, I think this reluctance to just go all in on a full full restart, full reboot, it just continues to present these questions, continuity errors, gaps, whatever, that continue to necessitate. But, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, it's by design. That's why we have to keep having these events, <laughs> you know? Well, like, we need a oopsie. We need a reset button and, or, and how we're going to use it. I just, I'm looking at the article you sent me and I didn't realize, the one of the questions I have if you read Crisis is, so what ultimately happens to Wonder Woman is... And and here, meanwhile, with One Woman now dead in January, DC started a Legend of One Woman miniseries, with which, by the way, is by Kurt Busiek, which I didn't realize Kurt was doing stuff even that long ago. 
And it was to fill in for the fact that Wonder Woman's ongoing series was now over since she was, you know, dead. But see, <laughs> like, is that was that your understanding of the end of Crisis? Because in issue 11, no. when we have the multiple versions, there's this talk about how Earth-1 Wonder Woman, Donna Troy is her, her adopted sister, and Earth-2 Wonder Woman yes. has the daughter, right? Yes. And I yeah. swear, as I'm reading cri- the final issue of Crisis, I really thought it was Earth-2 Wonder Woman who gets decimated by the anti-monitor's beam and then is later reverted Same. to clay and goes to Olympus. Yes. So I don't know if that article Same. is accurate or I, we just missed something. I really don't know. I got, I'm going to go back and look at it later because I am curious, like, did I confuse them? Cause then there's, I thought the old one woman got killed versus the, yeah. So it's just, but to, again, there's too many people. <laughs> but to your point, when yeah. at the end of crisis, you know, using Laurie Lamaris as a perfect example, yeah, she gets killed in battle. So, but that no. version existed. It's it's really not until you get the Man of Steel reboot that, you know, it, it's just kind of right. all wiped away. But so, right. I, and and look to Wolfman's credit, right? He wanted to go all in on this. And and earlier in that interview, he talks about how, you know, DC had done this before, right? <laughs> they put the gold, like, with the exception of you know Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Robin, like they had put the Golden right. Age characters away. And then yes. we had this Silver Age renaissance. And then, of course, they would incorporate those Golden Age characters via these team-ups in Earth 2 and all that. But, you know, there was precedent for it. But in that case, they just, you know, they didn't account for it story-wise. They just, they just stopped publishing those characters and introduced new ones. So here, at least, there was an in-story explanation for it. But, yeah, yeah, I'm with Wolfman. I really wish they had just gone all in and just started fresh. I think what helps is, it's funny, like, he mentions the whole... You have them still in your bookshelves. Like, if they want to remember that stuff, they can. But I kind of like the idea of, like, boop, stop, start again. And then I just treat 1987 like it all started again. That's that's how I've always envisioned it. And I think it's cleaner that way. But if you get into the weeds, it gets a little bit dicey. But, and he alludes, more than alludes to it in the in the interview. And, and even in the, it might be in the companion uh, collections yes, where there's a, there's a there's a forward or something yeah but there were plenty of writers right who didn't want to participate in this and you know at a minimum right and like the title for this event red skies that was the way for the books to acknowledge it you know even if they weren't yeah. fully participating in it so i think the internal politics at dc you know clearly played oh, yeah. into this a lot and maybe if everyone had really bought in and committed to it they they could have had the full restart i mean in the end i don't know see i I'm I'm conflicted on this because you ultimately do get these reboots. You get Man of Steel, you get Batman Year One, you get the the George Perez right. Wonder Woman series. So you, but yeah. they they come they're so piecemeal, right? And then again, certain car- Wally West becomes the Flash and then continues in his own series. So right. So it's like it's, why um, didn't why didn't they reboot Barry Allen? So it becomes like if- this sort of mixed mix you know sort of mix and match approach. And the, yeah. the the quote unquote reboots become very piecemeal. And I was going to, this is what I, I stopped myself because I was going to say, well, even if they didn't all happen at the same time, they eventually happened. But clearly there was enough that was still amiss that we had to have zero hour less than a decade later. Right. right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I don't, I, uh, I, I don't want to be, a, <laughs> I don't want to be a, I'm trying not to be a complainer, but I think we have to just be okay with like, okay, like it, it's a point in time. It was a great concept. It did the job it needed to do for a lot of different reasons, even though Wolfman didn't get his way to reboot. But 
it's incredible that two men could create something like this. And I want to touch on the deaths of those characters too. I know we want to talk about that, but like, let's all remember that every one of these characters all had books that all had creators that they ultimately were told, Nope, like Marv and George are going to do this. No matter how you feel, your book is ending. (laughs) It's like, Whoa, that's hard. Yeah. No, I want to talk about the deaths too. I'll just say this. Uh, It's funny even though I know I'm not so hot on this crisis story, I'm really having fun talking about it. And two things. One, I I already knew this, but this reaffirmed, I don't really care so much about the continuity of it all anymore. (laughs) I used to. Yeah, right. I mean, I really used to. I don't so much now. But but at the same time, this conversation in particular, it it feels like these were, I feel like some of the kinds of talks we'd have at the comic shop. So kind of being back in that mode it's it's fun like i'm enjoying this but but anyway yeah, yeah. i mean we, we have these that's kind of on this note we've been talking about how it's kind of overwhelming it's kind of exhausting there's so many characters that are being thrown at you it's very plot heavy are are the are the deaths of supergirl and and flash are those the two most emotionally resonant moments for you in this or is there anything else that kind of rises to that level well it's really so it's interesting so in the absolute crisis, there's the big hardcover one they made. There is a, a I think it's an afterward or a forward in there. And it talks about like the decision to kill Supergirl. That was a big deal. Like both Supergirl and Flash. We're not talking about like if Lori Lamaris dies or some random D-list character that is, is not necessarily like way up there. Supergirl and Flash, it goes like Trinity And then they're in the next tier right below that. So apparently, where is it? I wrote it down. The only reason Supergirl's death got approved was that the Helen Slater movie did so bad at the box office. And the DC folks went, okay. (laughs) I was like, oh no. Wow. So no no one at the corporate level would really care that she died. That, that's out of that companion. That's rough. It's like, well, clearly movie was pretty rough. Nobody went and saw it. So they're not going to be too upset if Supergirl gets killed in the comics. It's like, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. It's funny. When we did our hundredth episode, someone asked was, you know, what are the things that I've read or watched for, for the podcast? That, like I would never want to go back to again. Oh, don't do it. And I, I can't remember. I feel like I forgot to say Supergirl, but Supergirl, the Supergirl movie. <laughs> I tried. I tried doing it recently. Somebody mentioned it recently to me, and I was like, oh, "Let me go see." It was streaming. I think it's on HBO Max. And I went. I I couldn't. I did like twenty minutes, and then they got to the uh, Lucy. I'm like, "No, I, I'm out. I can't. It's just so rough. It's really hard." Even Lana was like, "This is really rough," and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. "But so, but yeah. So, is there anything else in Crisis that, from an emotional standpoint, you found yeah. as compelling as as these deaths?" Well, I mean, let me think. As like compelling emotionally, hmm. I felt bad for the Flash. I mean, I thought it was, it's interesting, like with every crisis or with every event, I feel that the writer trope to throw in is like, got to kill someone. Like, who ain't going to make it? Um and I think Barry went out strong. I didn't under, really understand why he had to do what he was doing or what what it was doing. That and and, and all of a sudden, you, you read him saying something to the effect of, "Oh, the anti monitors 
onto me and is now going, he's reversing time. So he like, and, but then he's getting older. I'm so, I was so confused even by the science of his death. I was like, Oh, but it's still sad. The flash is awesome. And he made a sacrifice. That was like the limit of my emotional uh, attachment. I, uh, I definitely felt like the Supergirl death was more effective. I felt it was more powerful and you, you felt it. They also, one of the, I think the only other tie-in issue I read was another issue of, of Presents that was a Superman-Supergirl team-up. Mm-hmm. And clearly there was this attempt to, okay, like let's give them some time together before she dies. And there's a sense of foreboding and the whole issue, she's like, I feel like something's wrong. And then the caption at the end is like, find out what, you know, <laughs> it's like, she's not wrong. Oh, <laughs> well, and then Dr. Light, like that whole thing too, like you're pretty kind of pissed off at Dr. Light and she, cause she turns around to say, no, no, go back. And that's when the anti-monitor kills her. And then Dr. later Dr. Light said, I feel bad because I'm the reason she turned around and ultimately died. And they're like, no, it's okay. And I'm like, no, it's not okay. You killed her. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, is it Harbinger? Who's like, no, the blast already killed her, which I felt like, eh, I mean, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting angle for mm-hmm. her to have that guilt about it. I don't know that I would try to you know wipe that away, but yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, she's, you know, Anti-Monitor really has Superman against the ropes here. And and Kara comes in, just guns blazing and oh, knocking him into the machine and destroying winning. his containment suit. I mean, it's she really makes yeah, she's, the sacrifice. She's winning. Yeah. Um, I, from an emotional level, I felt that that was one of the best, like, battles in the series of the 12 parts. Even, like, the all the villains and heroes combining, I wasn't super excited by that. Maybe I just was tired. But... I just didn't care as much. Yeah, I think, I don't know. On the one hand, the vil- they need to have some part to play in this. And right. I, I can see the value in, okay, like this is their moment. There's this little lull and now we have this. I, I get that, right. but it, I don't know. After everything, I, it just felt, when I talk about the rhythm of it, it just felt for me a little bit off at that point. But yeah. But yeah, the Supergirl death was certainly effective. And look, we get one of the most iconic covers of all time of Superman yeah. crying and holding her lifeless body. And of course, that itself will become a trope. And it's like, how do you want to let people know this is a crisis event? It's like Superman's crying on the cover, holding somebody. Yeah. And we'll continue to see this. And we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks when we do, do Identity Crisis. <laughs> yep. Well, and she's and it's it's she's bloody. Like she's bloody and tattered. And it's 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 powerful. It's a powerful um cover and i mean i don't mean to belabor the point but just going just as another example going back to our point it's like on the flash front the characters know that barry allen was the previous flash and he died in in a crisis whereas on the superman front we leave this story and he knows that his cousin died i guess by the end of it he doesn't remember exactly what the circumstances are but then once we're into man of steel territory she doesn't exist gone yeah so yeah so there's that. But I think in terms of the characters they chose, Flash in particular, he was the one who kicked off the Silver Age. And so to have him meet his end here, I think was fitting. I agree with you. I think this death was a little bit, I don't know. It did, I don't know if it just, there wasn't enough space devoted to it, or maybe it was a little bit more nebulous about what exactly he was doing, why he died. Like with Supergirl, right. it's in the heat of battle. I think you can kind of connect with it a little bit more. Whereas this yeah. was just sort of like, okay, but here's what I want to ask you, because I was having, again, this group this group uh, chat that I have with fellow guests, Ralph and Mike, and we were talking, still talking about the Flash okay. movie, <laughs> but, uh, uh. Talking about, but talking about Barry Allen, 
because right and i don't mean to take us off track but when we talk about the this flash the movie in particular it's like this characterization is very different than what you see in the comics but we were talking about like what is barry's character what was barry supposed to be like and none of us really had a good answer for that and i think this is the question i want to ask i mean I, I, my my impression has always been this is a character defined more by his death than anything else really and so I know this is really ultimately a separate conversation, but you talk about the legacy of Crisis. His, he ultimately obviously comes back in Flash Rebirth. I guess, what are your feelings on that generally? Do you feel like that undermines the sacrifice he made? Or that, no, the sacrifice still stands and it still has meaning. Like, where where do you land on that? And again, I might piss off a lot of listeners. Like, I just don't, I didn't care about Barry Allen because he's not my Flash. Wally West has always been my Flash. And I was so pissed that I was excited that I, when they did a Flash TV series, I thought that it'd be Wally West as the lead and not um, not Barry. So I think that's where, I don't want to say I don't care, but I think Flash dying at the end of the crisis makes sense because it's Flash who's the first one that actually learned about the multiverse. Like in the Flash of Two Worlds way back it's like number 123 or so like it's it's it starts with him and it ends with him like that's that's what i think the closure like it's interesting how you said that like he's known more for his death than he's known for who he was gosh somebody made some comment did you say it or justin that the flash just runs really fast i don't know if it was one of us maybe might have i don't think i said that but it was and it was, I've never been a huge Flash Barry Allen fan, but I think the Wally West from the Titans eventually becoming the Flash, there's more story to me there, I guess. And that's why I've kind of enjoyed that more. And um, I read, it's very interesting, I read the Flash rebirth and was like, all right. But the Green Lantern rebirth with Hal Jordan, I was super excited because. I wanted that redemption to happen after what happened with Co City and all that stuff. But I hate to be that way, but I just, I've never understood or really had a draw to Flash Barry Allen because he's kind of boring. Like he has no character based on what you see. <laughs> Which is, it's crazy because even now we've had, we had a nine year Flash TV series. But even still, I don't know that I could really tell you his, his, or characteristics he's i mean and i he brave he's, he's like, just like a solid guy yeah he's brave he's a he's, but, he, he's loyal he's dedicated he's a hero like he but i mean it's yeah I, I, it's funny he's kind of it's not bland is a very very hard word to say but there's nothing distinctful that sticks out like uh hal jordan was fearless like he had super amount of willpower and fearless um but yeah, I don't know. That's, that's that's an interesting question that you guys posed. That's why uh, I rem- I still remember reading that first solicitation copy for Flash Rebirth when Barry came back, and I remember I was excited for it because I loved the John's run on the fl- but it was Wally, but I, I loved that run so much, yeah. and he was doing more Flash with me Barry and right, and I did I had enjoyed Green Lantern Rebirth, even though I've since really since come to uh, feel that Hal's arc from hero to villain to Specter is actually pretty interesting and compelling, but that's a, that's a separate conversation. Right. But, uh, I still remember reading that solicitation for flash rebirth and it was something like, 
I'm, I'm exaggerating it a little bit, but it's like the entire DC universe quakes in the footsteps of Barry Allen. It's like, all right. I mean, like, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> I mean, they were really building him up quite a bit, but it's, it's, it's effective enough. I will say though, and, and I know I had mentioned before the, the soundtrack to the Arrowverse crisis and yeah. I had debated doing an episode on that. We might at some point, but it's not going to be part of this event. But I, I thought what they were able to do on the television side was tremendous. It's hard. It is so hard. It, you know, I thought about that. I thought about like, what if they tried to make like a series, like a, a like a twelve or thirteen HBO Max or whatever series? But it's incredible hard. You're looking. I'm reading through this, going. They have to cut so many people out of this story. Yeah. But I thought, I mean, were you happy with what Arrowverse did? Yeah. And I think they did enough. They took the plot and they used the people that are in their five shows really, really well. I think that was, they honored it to the core of the plot without making it too dense. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. I, it's funny. Cause like I've, I've, I've said, I know a lot of times I'm kind of dismissive of the Arrowverse because I feel like all those shows went off the rails mm. later on, but you know, at its best, it was really tremendous. And Crisis in particular, I think, really holds up. And between seeing how the Flash movie dealt with the multiverse and then now going back and reading the original Crisis story, I feel more and more what they achieved on television with Crisis was really, really something because they had, you know, they had all the ingredients. They had multiple shows. Some of them took place on different Earths. So they really, that core concept of these Earths coming together, they had the pieces there. And to your point, it's like they were able to to make it work within the context of their shows and their stories and their characters while still honoring the ultimate core of the comic. And also a lot of the, even the plot beats. And and that was something that as I was reading this, I was like, Oh yeah, like they really did incorporate a lot. I mean, it's, you know, they use the wave rider, right. As the, as their, as their base, just like the monitor has his, uh, you know, his little satellite and, you know, the specter playing a key role. I mean, yes, we get this massive twist of it being Oliver Queen, but it's like, look, he's the, he's the originator of this universe. So it makes sense. And so there was so much that they, that they still kept. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really overdue for a rewatch of that, but uh, yeah, hats off to them. I think they really did a great job. And speaking of flash in particular, when John Wesley ship earth 90 flash sacrifices himself, like that moment hits in yeah. a way that I feel like yep. this one doesn't necessarily. Yeah, that was one of my one of the things you said in the episode about the movie that hit home too was I was pretty frustrated that there was no Grant Gustin or John Wesley Ship in there and and it just honoring characters is really important to me and even in the crisis TV stuff I think they did a good job because say what you will about the breadth of each of those show seasons to the core of every one of those shows I really like the casting and I really like the character and when you put all those good actors and characters in the same thing, they feed off each other and you actually do care if something happens to them. But that's what makes it hard on all our individual shows. Like you said, it gets off the rails. You're like, uh, like you can blame, blame them, but you take a great plot and you use people you care about and, and good actors. You're like, that's, that's now I'm happy. We're good to go. Yeah, no, absolutely. What else? So as you were reading crisis, rereading crisis, what yeah. else either positive or negative, like what else really yeah. stood out to you? What jumped out? What were the things that either you remembered and still resonated or maybe kind of forgotten about and hit you in a different way? Like what were the, what were some of the big takeaways as you were reading? There was something kind of cool too, about like the racial representation 
across the heroes that were I felt really deliberate to. And even I, I made a comment about it. There's, it's, I mean, we're in 1985. So for an American hero to be helping Red Star, a Russian hero, like, for example, that's that ain't just it's not like 2006. We're talking about still Cold War wall is still up kind of stuff going on. And I think that was it. That struck interesting to me. Like, oh, I wonder how people felt about that. Like, oh, we're we're really thinking more peace and not what's happening in the real world. Um, we see Asian superheroes. That was something kind of cool that we didn't see a whole lot of at that time. Um, I did kind of laugh about the JLA. I, I didn't realize this, but the, I, I didn't know that the JLA headquarters was in Detroit at one point. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, the, the, they chose to not use a satellite in space anymore. And they replaced it with Detroit. And I was just like, that's just weird to me. Like it just seemed it re- it read odd. Uh, yeah, I have not. I mean, it's funny because the satellite era, of course, very famous, and we're not yet at yeah. the Bwahaha era that will come, and then, of course, followed right. by Morrison and, and all that. But yeah, there was this, I think, relatively short Detroit era that I know next to nothing about. I'm sure it has Same. its fans, but yeah, I know it's just it does it does feel odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It's the equivalent of like let's leave space and go to Salt Lake City. Like it just uh, it was an odd choice. Like. Okay, not New York. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. I'll say the, especially in terms of things that I liked and that resonated. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think mo- any time that Earth Two Superman got uh, got a moment to shine, and of course we always look at the Superman of it all. And I think there there are a couple of things after Supergirl's death. Earth One Superman is really out for blood. Yeah, right? he wants to kill the Anti Monitor. And Earth 2 Superman is the one who's like, listen, you got to relax. This is not the way. We'll do what we need to do. And like really kind of calms yeah. him down and sets him straight. And and I like that moment between the two of them. And also, and again, I don't mean to belabor the point, but I think why that Supergirl, that whole Supergirl issue works so well and that climax in particular is because you're actually, you know, I would have to like go back and, you know, count up pages and things like that. But if it's one of the rare instances where you're with a character and a sequence right. for as many pages as we are. I think that's why it, it, it clicks so much more than, than a lot of these other things. But, uh, but so I really like the, the bits between the two Superman. And then again, when we get to issue 11 and again, earth Two Superman, he goes to what he thinks is the daily star and he goes to sit in the, yeah. in Perry's desk because on his earth, he's the editor of the daily star, yep. <laughs> you know, like all that stuff was great. And realizing his Lois is gone. And the fact that I think probably what I enjoyed other than the Supergirl, sacrifice i think what i enjoyed the most was in that in that final issue when they've had this big battle with the anti-monitor and it keeps and we have all these moments where it seems like they've beaten him and he keeps coming oh back. he's dead like four times he's dead yeah <laughs> and alexander luther has you know opened up this rift and earth is because earth had been pulled into the anti-matter universe and now it's going back right. into the positive matter universe and the heroes are making their way through and earth to superman the one who started it all Right, the Golden Age Superman, who has now re- reconceived as the Earth Two Superman, he's the one who's going to stay behind and take out the Anti Monitor once and for all. And of course, Alexander Luther himself is there, and uh, and Superboy Prime. And of course, as you had alluded to earlier, we'll find out that Earth Two Lois has been kept safe within Alexander Luther all this time. But the fact that he stays behind, he's willing to make the sacrifice, and the hero that it all started with, it ends with him too. 
Yeah. Uh, I thought that was, I thought that was, was nice and really paid, uh, you know, paid homage to, um, to the golden right. age Superman. Yeah. I agree with that. I did find it funny that at the, the what, what ended up, ended up killing the anti-monitor is just one super punch from the earth to Superman. <laughs> I'm like, so why didn't we think of that in the first, <laughs> like it just, it just struck me as like, Oh, all we needed is, is a super punch. <laughs> Well, it's well, it just kind of it just made me laugh. We also get the the uh, intervention of Dark Side, which was oh, a, don't don't <laughs> even get me started on that. <laughs> Why? Not it a fan? is it is one of the it is one of the few times in my notes that I wrote what the fuck. Oh, there it is. That's the one. <laughs> There's the one. That's the PG thirteen. Because I still could not understand the science of Dark Side can see through Alexander Luther's eyes. Wait, just side note: uh, when you said that Justin DeVoe was listening, and he just he just cheered because he's a big fan of you, <laughs> and he enjoys a good f bomb. So I, I think he's very pleased right now. I'm like Justin. Yeah, every time, every time a Bernie swears, a Justin gets its wings. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like then it ends with Dark Side beams. His Omega beams through Alex Luther's eyes. I just, that was another science question mark I wrote. So I just, it was like Marv Wolpen went, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that's, it just made me laugh. What? So this ending here where Alexander Luther reveals that he has this ability to create this other dimension and and again it's not said explicitly but essentially the idea and i think what the intention of this story was was heaven right there's some sort of paradise dimension something like that where they can be yeah. at peace right because they can't make it back to the positive matter universe that's it for them so he takes again earth to superman and lois and superboy prime and himself into this pocket dimension and they fade away and and i yeah. I, I guess the original intention was like hey I mean, Alex and Superboy Prime aside, with Superman and Lois, it's like, look, the DC universe started with them, right? Correct. And so we want to respect them. We want to honor them. We want to give them a reward. They're not killed. They're not erased. They get to go off. Yeah. I guess part one, do you, do you like that ending for them? Did, did that resonate? Did you, did you enjoy that aspect of it? Did you feel like that was a fitting end for them in this, in this story? So in this story, I felt that was a really nice way to end it for them. There's... When you take when you take the crisis on Infinite Earth and Infinite Crisis and then put it together, it makes it a lot less nice. Um, there's things about Infinite Crisis that I feel make Crisis better, but there's but this is an example where I think, like, I guess I was confused when Lois said it's like it's like paradise, but then you find out paradise is kind of a cave with all these mirrors and I. I it's like, I don't think Lois knew what the heck she was talking about. Um, because it turns out it does not doesn't end well there, <laughs> which ultimately leads to infinite crisis. But I wish they would have just left it alone personally. But oh, that I was going to be part two of my question. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I not obviously we have an episode coming up on infinite crisis. We have we'll do an episode on all of the lead up stuff to infinite crisis, and then we'll do an episode on infinite crisis itself. Mm -hmm. and. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where I'll land upon reread. I mean, certainly uh, the Superman and Lois retain their heroic core, but we see Alex Alex Luther and Superboy Prime have really lost it. And I don't know, I'm kind of split because on the one hand, it, it 
it, you know, it, by design, it undermines the happy ending that they get here. Yeah. And it's left to your imagination about, you know, what this other realm is that they're going to. And then, yeah, to your point, it's like when you see what it actually is, it's like, oh, no, I kind of get why why Superboy Prime in particular went nuts. You right. know? And it's and not to not to go off on too much of a tangent or or get too <laughs> theological about all of this. But I've it's funny because like and I've talked about this before, we're talking about the good place, the TV show and its depiction of the afterlife right. and everything. And I love that show. It's so good. And I feel like a lot of TV shows. I feel like it's, and it's been even more of a trend recently. I won't spoil any shows, but various shows in recent years that have ended with the you know main character dying and then you see them in the afterlife. And I always, a lot of times I feel like, oh, this like, this doesn't, I know it's meant to be n- n- nice and a, and a sort of happy yeah. ending for them, but it's just like, oh, I, I don't know how to put it, but like eventually I feel like it would, it, it, it would not be so great after a while. Like there's only a certain right. amount of time where you could be either alone or with one person and, and like just in a certain space. <laughs> and when you think about it for eternity, it's just like, Oh, I, I don't know. So I don't know. There are aspects of it that track. And then of course I always go back to that line from Bruce in uh, Batman V Superman where, you know, Alfred mm-hmm. is like, you know, but he's not our enemy. And he's like, you know, come on, Alfred, 20 years in Gotham, you know what promises are worth. How many good, you know, how many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? So, so like this idea of, of the two of them in particular, you know, kind of like starting off as heroes and then losing it, it is interesting. It is compelling. If I would, if we were to re, you know, far be it from me to rewrite Jeff John's uh, work, I think it could have been really cool to have the anti-monitor come back or some form of the anti-monitor is coming back and wants to tear the universes apart again. And then for earth to Superman and Superboy to see that they need help. I, I didn't, I, I don't love like, I, and I'd be okay. I would rather have Superboy prime dying in the place of Connor and, and earth to Superman dying, you know, then I think it just cheapens the end of crisis. And, I don't love how like they had to make Superboy Prime bad. And I know you'll talk about this eventually, but yeah, it just seems, it just seemed really, it kind of ruins a little bit of the end of crisis with infinite crisis. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where I'll land on this, but I'll, I'll certainly have this yeah. in mind when, when I get there. Like I said, I think my favorite issue of this definitely was issue seven with, because it's not just the Supergirl piece. It's a double-sized issue and you finally get all yeah. of the backstory. Right, and yep. we see again Krona back on Oa trying to see the the start of the universe and the hand coming up, and, and the Guardians. Like you, you learn a lot about all of that, which is really cool. Yeah, and and that you know Krona's uh, his efforts not didn't just result in the creation of the antimatter universe, but gave birth to this multiverse that was never supposed right. to be. And so you get all this backstory, and uh, we learn more about Pariah as well, this tragic mm-hmm. figure who's drawn to see all of these Earths. Uh, in, in their final moments, but but you know can't intervene, and he blames himself. And of course, by the end of it, we find out he's not as culpable as he as he originally right. thought. Uh, and we see the births of the monitor and the anti. So you get a lot of you know it's a, a lot of a lot of exposition, but some helpful backstory. And then I think yeah. it's a nice kind of tease up the big climax. Nice. So that was my favorite issue of the of the twelve. Something that I really enjoyed about. I th- oh, give me just one second to look. Um, I think it's, uh, 
Oh, it's 10, actually. So the monitor tapes at the very, very bottom of the page, like you kind of see Lila like writing the history of what's been going on and like as we're coming to like the present time. And it led me to a question too, because ultimately at the end of the crisis, uh, Lila and Pariah and Lady Quark are all alive and all are kind of still in existence. So I guess my question was like, why didn't we ever get any of them later? Well, doesn't Lady Quark show up in Infinite Crisis? And see, and I can't remember, and I'm going to need to reread it. So I know, are you, which one are you, when are you doing that one? Uh, That's what, I don't know, three episodes from now, something like that. Okay. I'm going to have to read it over the next, I got to read it in Identity Crisis first. But, um, but yeah, so I, I am curious, but I don't remember seeing Pariah or Lila show up again. Yeah, I don't know offhand, but I, I mean, with Infinite Crisis, if I'm remembering correctly, because there's that whole bit where, you know, Alex, Alex wants to bring back the multiverse. And so they have representatives from the various Earths in those tuning forks right. or, or chambers or whatever. And I'm almost positive she's there as a representative of, okay. I want to say, Earth 6. And then Pariah, I know, was a villain, the villain in Dark Crisis, which I haven't read yet, but we're getting there. Yeah, he is. He, I mean, I mean, before that, I'm just yeah. saying, like, we're talking about another 30 years. Yeah. So I just, I just interesting. No, I know. actually 40, 40, 40 years. We're coming up on 40 yeah, to 2025 will be the 40 year anniversary and we'll get another hardcover. <sighs> I'm sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> what haven't we talked about with respect to crisis that, that you want to, that we should. I think we covered everything that I liked and annoyed me all at the same time. Um, but again, like to reinforce, it was, it's appreciation with a dash of frustration. I think that's what it comes down to with me. Like really appreciate the undertaking and what it still stands for, but just frustrated with the way it had to be done in that way that I'm not, I'm not totally digging. Like, I don't know when the next time I'll read this again, I'll probably have to wait another 15 years. Honestly, I don't know that I really have another, another read of this in me absent a genuine reason to do it. And I don't know what that reason would be. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, some new story, some new crisis that, uh, that I don't know, makes me want to go back. But even then I feel like I'd be hard pressed to, to want to reread everything. I feel like I would just maybe jump around a little bit. I would agree. Maybe, maybe at it's when it has its 50th anniversary, I'll, I'll like, Oh, look at that. I don't know. That's it. I won't read the whole thing. I think too, where I like the television version, but look, you know, in fairness, mm. of course I like the television version more. I was watching all of those shows. I was invested in all of yes. those shows and all of those characters Same. in a way that at I, that time. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, I didn't have that level of investment in the pre-crisis versions of the characters. So of course right. it's not going to register the same way. I get that. But, but with those shows, even though when you pull them all together, it's, it's a large cast, but it's still not the cast of thousands seemingly that we <laughs> that we get in this that we get in this book so i think the you know being able to drill down more specifically on the characters and have more more of those character moments uh you know just made a huge difference as opposed to reading this and it's just you know jumping around it's again wonky science aside you see the care you see how how again i think it is well constructed and there's clearly a lot that's thought out with all of this and yeah. Even though I didn't know all of the characters or, you know, or, or, or whatnot. But I mean, I, 
from what I did know, it felt like it rang true in terms of what was presented with those kids, the moments that they had and things like that. So again, I think if you were yeah. fans of the, any individual character, you were probably like, oh, okay, like it, it rang true. But uh, I, again, I just found it to be kind of exhausting after a while. Yeah, I think I think every character got an homage in some either representation of a panel or sadly, maybe in their demise, which was hard. It's I, maybe the last thing and I and, and this isn't to, you know, to, to, to pile on further, but I don't know. I feel like we've we, we've talked about a number of moments, but when you think about how how many issues, how many pages are there other moments that really stand out to you? And if not, it, you know, may, maybe maybe all of the, the things that we're talking about account for why that is. Because honestly, aside from what we've talked about, I'm kind of hard pressed to be like, oh yeah, that really, you know, that really stood out to me. So, I mean, the phrase, some of its parts kind of rings true. Like, I think the entity itself is really cool. Um. But when you look at the individual things, it's not as it's not as um, special as the concept itself. I think that's I think that's where it comes down to. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right, man, we did it. <laughs> we did it. We're almost right at two hours. We're like an hour and fifty-seven. <laughs> yeah, we had one one listener on Twitter was like, "Oh, shout out to Brian." Was like, "Oh, I'm expecting two to three hours on this." I'm like, "I don't." know that i have quite mm-hmm. that much <laughs> almost it's no. about two hours but not, that's, not three that's how long it took yeah that's how long it took to read one issue so we can't do that <laughs> very true but look as always for people who who love crisis continue to love it continue to read it and enjoy it that's great and uh again i guess that's how i feel about something like infinite crisis uh, or you know we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see if that holds up when, when we get there but as always i thank you i really and especially especially this homework assignment thank you for uh, for, for taking it on, Bernie. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, it was fun. It was cool. It's always good. No matter what, like I said to you, no matter what you assign or what we do, we're going to have a good conversation, whether it's like lifting something up or asking solid questions about it. So, yes. All right. So thank you, Bernie. Thank you, audience. As always, I really appreciate you tuning in. I hope you're enjoying this event here. I, this is, again, interesting for me because we're now... Next week, we're getting into Zero Hour. Then, Bernie, you'll be back for Identity Crisis. Then we move into Infinite Crisis territory. So now we're getting into the realm where I was I was there as a reader. I was invested. I was following yeah. this stuff. So I'm, yep. I, I'm curious, and I feel like maybe our episodes will have a little bit of a different vibe. So we'll continue to evolve here as we, as we make our way through. But uh, I hope you're enjoying. Make sure you come back next week for Zero Hour. And of course, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.